You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to another live program here on Voice of Islam radio station. This is the Drive Time Show, and today you're joined by myself, uh, Safir, and uh, Salman in the studio. Assalamu alaikum, Salman. How are you doing? Uh, very well, Alhamdulillah. How about you? Yeah, good. Um, this uh, this whole week, um, as as our listeners might be aware, um, that we are focusing on some of the core teachings of Islam and, uh, you know, calling it Islam 101 week where we are looking at um, some, you know, fundamental teachings of Islam and just going back to the basics, really, so people can understand what the basics of Islam um, are and uh, what the beliefs are and I think uh, today we're going to speak about uh, two uh, fundamental beliefs uh, within the Islamic teachings. Absolutely and I think um, we, we do uh, cover uh, by the grace of God many many other topics mm. um, and we get really extensive research is done for that but obviously it's also very important to come back to the basics and just learn about how Islam um, teaches you or in uh, as in, in in regards to its core beliefs, so the f- the first hour into uh, today we are discussing fasting, um, which and especially the fasting in Ramadan, which is um, part of the five pillars of Islam. Yeah. And then in the second hour, we will discuss um, about the day of resurrection, and try to share some information about that with our listeners, inshallah. Absolutely. Um, so the fasting um, is the third pillar of uh, amongst the five pillars of Islam. And um, again, it's been a few months since we've had the month of Ramadan as well, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was, uh, uh, you know, a month of great blessing, um, you know, where Muslims across the world, um, you know, strictly observed fasting during uh, the month of uh, the whole, uh, during uh, the duration of a whole month. So, according to the sayings of the Holy Prophet of Islam, um, the act of fasting is one of the core teachings of Islam, especially in the month of Ramadan, as we have explained. But fasting in the month of Ramadan is is obviously the the obligatory part. But uh, we also know by the life of uh, with, you know by studying the life of the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that he fasted on other days as well. And um, he basically throughout his life, you know, fairly regularly, he he used to fast. So we'll look at, you know, where fasting, uh, what does fasting do to you? Why is it important in terms of uh, our religious and spiritual progress? Um, why, why do we need to fast? What's the philosophy behind it? What do we find in the Holy Quran and in the Islamic teachings about how fasting makes a difference uh, in terms of um, spiritually enhancing our capabilities and then also we'll focus on the benefits of fasting uh, f- the physical benefits as well and in the light of the Holy Quran we will be looking at uh, 
the purpose behind fasting and we'll look at what the prophet um, has said about how to fast you know what to do what not to do and um, hopefully that will give a good insight uh, and introduction to this um, fundamental uh, practice in the Islamic teachings uh, for our listeners and of course I mean if you have any questions about fasting or if there's anything that you would like to ask us I mean we will try our best to answer but we do have some expert guests coming in later on as well who will uh, uh, discuss fasting in more detail. So if there's any question, anything that you would like to share with us, um, you're more than welcome to give us a call. 0208-687-7878. That's 0208-687-7878. Now, as you were saying, we will be um, going into um, many aspects Hmm. Of, of of fasting, the, the 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 physical benefits of this, the the spiritual benefits, etc. So there are obviously lo- loads of benefits and blessings connected to fasting. And uh, so for instance, a a study carried out by scientists in the USA found that mental focus achieved during Ramadan increases the level of brain-derived uh, neurotrophic factor, which causes the body to produce more brain cells, thus improving brain function. Hmm. And that obviously shows us how, um, you know, when when we fast, of course, the one aspect where you are getting hungry and you physically might feel a bit tired, you know, yeah. lack of energy yeah. in that way. But on the other side, this study obviously showing that your brain gets a boost and, you know, you're able to uh, produce more brain cells um, is very interesting because, you know, when we pray, for mm-hmm. example, when we focus on 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 ibadah, on on worship of God Almighty, yeah, yeah. it is it is not so much our physical, you know, thing, but it's actually our brain and heart. So that's how you do the worship. So, according to this study, if we were to put it in this aspect, that when we are fasting, and it says that obviously it he- helps boost your brain, mm-hmm. then of course that will help your focus, your sharpness in, in your prayers as well. Absolutely. And um, that's really what the purpose of uh, of worship is, isn't it? I mean... And I think from, even from a personal mm-hmm. sort of experience, we, we, we can all tell that, yes, there is this sort of um, short time period of mm-hmm. where you feel weakness or you feel a little low. But once you overcome that you're good to go for the whole day yeah yeah right and uh, it's only the the first few days during ramadan that are so, sort of yeah. more bothering yeah. but w- once you've overcome those first yeah. let's say three four days or so ramadan becomes quite easy yeah and uh yes you can get on with, yeah. with all of your um daily um um plans and you and, and your chores and everything yeah. that, that you need to do it yeah, is quite absolutely. easy after that yeah. and in fact it makes you more energized and it makes you more uh, focused as well yeah um and it's amazing as you said that you know that your body is able to adjust yeah in in that way yes it takes probably a few days uh, for people to get used to it and of course for first few days are a bit difficult but that's the whole purpose of sacrifice as well yeah. uh but yeah of course i mean it 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 is something that, uh, um, as you mentioned in this study, that uh, it it boosts the brain, and of course, um, all of these things are important for our function and our uh, concentration, and especially in uh, the holy month of Ramadan, where the purpose really is to worship and focus on God. So the 
more focus you have, the more you know energy you have mentally to focus on your prayers, the better it is during the month of Ramadan. Absolutely. I think now that we've sort of mentioned the word Ramadan a few times, maybe yeah. it's, it's it's time to tell our listeners uh, what the holy month actually is. Yeah. So, um, the Holy Quran states in this regard, in chapter two, um, "O ye who believe, fasting is prescribed for you during a fixed number of days, as it was prescribed for those before you, so that you may become righteous." Um, so there is one full month in every year in which fasting is prescribed for all Muslims uh, all across the globe and uh, as the month is a lunar month it uh, keeps changing around the year in relation to the solar months this creates a universal balance for the worshippers now sometimes the fasting in winter months is easy because the days are shorter in comparison to the long winter nights while during the summer months the days become long as as the lunar months now keep rotating around the year, Muslims around the uh, all around the world have some periods of easy fasting and some uh, which are sort of more difficult. So as we know, we are now in the middle of, uh, um, as in this year, for instance, mm. the, uh, the, the Ramadan month came um, in May. And so these days are obviously getting longer, yeah. but uh, eventually it, it will get to yeah. the, the shorter days as well. Yeah. So I think uh, the verse of the Holy Quran that you you know presented to Salman is a very important one because it gives us the whole picture of what uh, fasting is about um, that you mentioned in a fixed number of days um, and the second part says that it was prescribed for those before you as well so that means that fasting necessarily wasn't just introduced by Islam but you know some form of fasting was there before as well and mm. we're going to talk about that with with our uh, guests who will join us um, shortly as well. And the last part in the verse, this from chapter 2, verse 184, saying that, so that you may become righteous. So that is the main purpose of Ramadan. The purpose of Ramadan is not to lose weight. The purpose of Ramadan is not to stay hungry or thirsty. The purpose of Ramadan is not to, you know, uh, just stay away from some some things uh, for 30 days, 29 days. is basically so that we become righteous so everything is circled around or you know focused on becoming righteous yeah, so absolutely. whether it's our you know um uh, behavior so sometimes if people are hungry or they're they're fasting if they have a sh- short temper or if they you know feel frustrated and they deal with other people and and they start fighting and and things like that then that is also wrong. That's something that you should try to suppress. You know, it's like uh, remember one saying of the Holy Prophet ﷺ where he said that, you know, if if uh, if somebody f- argues with you or tries to fight with you and you're fasting, you should say, I'm fasting and just ignore that person or walk away. So I think that's another uh, aspect which, which is really important to highlight that in every part of our daily life, we have to try during the month of Ramadan especially to improve and and become righteous not only just the food and drink part but mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. certainly and uh, i think in, in regards to ramadan there are loads of questions that our, our listeners might have mm. and uh, it would be a great opportunity to now speak with our first guest caller which is uh, imam muhammad ahmed khushid who is uh, an imam of the md muslim community based in manchester uh, imam uh, khushid jazakallah for joining us and welcome to the drive to show jazakumullah thank you for having me 
Um, now, as as you know, we we are discussing um, the month of uh, Ramadan or the, the the act of fasting today at our show. Um, I think one of the most basic or uh, more sort of relevant questions we get in this regard is about why does God and uh, want us to stay hungry and thirsty? Because when when we generally speak about religion, it it seems to be more of a spiritual um, enhancement. So why do we need to stay hungry and thirsty for that? Yeah. Um, look, it's firstly when you look at the Holy Quran, the Quran tells us specifically that we fast for one main reason. And the verse is that, O ye who believe, fasting is prescribed for you, as it was prescribed for those before you, so that you may become righteous. Right? So becoming righteous is the main goal of fasting, of prayer, of all the good deeds that we carry out. Now, having said that, somebody, like you mentioned, might argue that, you know, why does God require us to stay hungry and thirsty? And to answer that question, there's two ways we can answer that. Is that the Quran tells us that man has been made weak. That we were created weak. Somebody who undergoes weakness will make mistakes. He will sin. And one of the ways to atone for your sins, there are many ways that God the Almighty has prescribed. One great way is fasting. Right, so if you think about it, the philosophy behind this is that if I give up things which are permissible for me for the sake of God Almighty, then surely this will um, bring me closer to God Almighty. And the second way to answer this question is uh, we look around the world, and there's so much, um, part, there are so many parts of the world where you can see there's discrimination and there's parts that go through famines and hunger. And millions of children die every single year. So Islam particularly tells us to fast for the reason that when we undergo these uh, these stages of hunger and thirst, then we realize that our brethren around the world, our brothers and our sisters, different parts of the world, do not have these basic things that we take for granted every single day. That leads us to saving up money and saving up our wealth and giving that to those who need it more than us. So Islam gives it more from a spiritual perspective as well as a physical perspective. The act of fasting is a great way to gain the pleasure of God Almighty. Hmm. Very well said. Uh, Imam Khushid, uh, we, we have established that obviously fasting is an essential concept in um, gaining the nearness of Allah the Almighty. So what happens to a person who does not fast? I mean, for example, if there is a Muslim and he's supposed to fast, but he does not make that commitment or he does not fast, will he or she be deprived of the nearness of Allah the Almighty or will there be some kind of punishment or what What negatives comes out from not, you know, partaking in this blessed month? Again, it, it really depends. I mean, we've established in the previous question that this brings one closer to God Almighty. Mm. As a Muslim, we know that the... The Prophet ﷺ and the Prophets before him used to fast to gain the nearness of God Almighty, right? So if somebody doesn't fast at, despite knowing that this act will bring him closer to God Almighty, then he should really question his own faith that, you know, why am I not fasting if I know this will bring me closer to God Almighty? Now, having said that, what is the biggest punishment we can undergo? Right? The biggest punishment, more than any form of punishment, is being deprived of the love of a dear one. Right, let's take a physical explanation that we love somebody very dearly, our parents maybe, our children, and we can no longer be near to them. Them being further away in itself is a great punishment. The silence is an absolutely great punishment. 
So if we apply the same rule to God Almighty, that He tells us this is a means of being closer to me, and if you stay, if you do not practice this great act of worship, you will be removed from my nearness. You will no longer be near to me. So if somebody truly loves Allah the Almighty, for him this is a great punishment knowing that Allah will be displeased by us not fasting, right? Mm. So you realize that it's not just the physical aspect, it's the fact that God Almighty, he really loves the act of fasting. There's a hadith a saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And he says that every worship act of worship that you carry out, that is for yourself, including prayer. The only worship that is for my sake, and I will be... I will guarantee uh, my happiness for it is fasting. You fast for my sake. That is, you know, that's what God Almighty is telling us, right? So when we know that this is a great way, this is one of the five pillars of Islam, a great means of gaining his, uh, his nearness. So if somebody who doesn't uh, fast, not only is he being, um, he's furthering himself away from God Almighty, but he's also missing that opportunity to atone for the mistakes that he has made in the past. Absolutely. Um, Zakla for that, Imam Khurshid. Obviously, um, from from whatever you you've just told us, you, we we can definitely um, understand why there's been so much emphasis laid on this. And when Allah the Almighty Himself says that all the actions of mankind are sort of for themselves, but when it comes yeah. to fasting, it's actually for the sake of God, and He Himself will be um, um, the the the. Uh, the reward, the reward, yeah. the reward for that exactly. So that obviously explains us, explains to us um, the importance of this month. Now, um, a bit um, about human um, sort of behavior, Imam Khurshid. We, we we tend to sometimes to uh, to to eat during um, uh, the 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 month of Ramadan, or, or we drink a sip. Now that sort of happened to all of us at uh, at some point. So. What happens to someone like that? Is there a punishment for this as well? Well, look, the first saying of the Prophet, peace be upon him, is that our actions will be according to our intentions. So if we did not intend on consuming that uh, whatever food we had or, or you know, quenching our thirst in the month of Ramadan on purpose, then that is, of course, of displeasure to God Almighty. It's a sin in the faith of Islam. But as the question would suggest, it's an accident. You didn't do it on purpose. You know, you maybe forgot that you were fasting and you had something to eat. Then in that way, there is a saying of the Prophet ﷺ that in that case, it is as if Allah the Almighty fed you or he quenched your thirst. And so this is, this is what Islam tells us, that there is no punishment if you consume something by accident. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, that's uh, you know, quite... Uh uh, quite interesting because a lot of people might think that oh, if Muslims they by mistake you know happen to drink some water or have some something, um, then then you know the, that that's the end of it. But of course, you know God Almighty is so merciful as you mentioned that you know um, He would forgive if it's not intentional. However, that doesn't mean that some <laughs> some some people just have short memory or try, tries to you know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> bend those rules <laughs> so <laughs> one has to be wary about that um, okay um, moving on to um, another aspect of Ramadan um, uh, Imam Khushid the Holy Quran and Ramadan is 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 uh, quite closely linked um, for many of our uh, listeners who might not be Muslim could you explain what 
what relationship Quran and, and the holy month of Ramadan has? Right. The word Quran itself means a book which is read over and over again. So it contains a sort of a prophecy that this book would be the most read book there is. And you can tell that every Muslim reads the book of the Quran, which is called the Holy Quran. In the month of Ramadan, there was a practice that the Prophet, peace be upon him, used to undertake. Is that he used to try to complete the entire Quran in this blessed month. And it is narrated that the angel Gabriel used to recite with him. But the most interesting part is, is that the Quran was revealed in a period of 23 years. And the revelation began in the, in the month of Ramadan and it finished, the revelation finished in the month of Ramadan. And Prophet ﷺ, peace be upon him, had such a, he had such a great desire to read the Quran in the month of Ramadan. Um, that it became a tradition for Muslims around the world that we try to read the Quran in the month of Ramadan more than we normally do in the rest of the year. And you can you can see that Muslims, whether they're children or they've spent their entire lives in the faith of Islam, they make it a point to particularly read it, the entire book, at least once in the month of Ramadan. So what this means is that once you're reading the book of you know the Quran, you then start to ponder over the meanings and the translation, and it's a book of instructions how to be a better human being. Then you start to practice those teachings and you realize that the month of Ramadan, through the blessings of the Qur'an as well, you've ended up becoming a better human being, a better Muslim after this blessed month. So the blessings are endless. The connection between the Qur'an and Ramadan is absolutely wonderful. That this spiritual revolution within one is assisted through understanding the book of God Almighty. Absolutely. Um, now... We obviously we we are um, uh, talking about um, the positives of Ramadan, and we did speak about uh, the health benefits to this, and also the spiritual. Now, one um, sort of uh, criticism that we also receive is that many Muslims across the globe make their children fast. Um, there've been stories of children being locked in their rooms because they were just uh, weren't able to cope with it, um, especially in the um, Asian subcontinent. There, there are stories uh, of, as such. Um, now, it just can't be true that children also are, uh, have the obligation to fast. So this is something I'm, I'm, I want to know from you more about. So is it is fasting uh, obligatory upon young children? And the second aspect to that would be that if it if it is not an obligation, how are we as parents um, supposed to involve our children more in Ramadan? That's a great question. I think the allegation or the questions that people pose are absolutely right. If this is happening and Muslims do tend to force their children to fast, that is an absolutely unacceptable um, uh, thing that they're carrying out. Mm-hmm. And what form of worship is that that forces young children to to partake in it look if we take the example of prayer which is the greatest form of worship in islam for a muslim god almighty tells us that if you can't pray standing up then sit down and pray if you can't sit down and pray then lie down and pray i mean that that's the philosophy of islam that it provides ease for man so that it's practical for him to worship right if this teaching is for normal individuals who are able to, you know, they're instructed to pray now. How can we say that the same God Almighty requires young children to fast as well? Mm-hmm. 
So this means that these Muslims who maybe out of ignorance or lack of knowledge force their children to fast, they're actually depriving themselves of the love of God Almighty because he doesn't instruct young children to fast. Now, not just young children, um, women who might be pregnant, who are pregnant, but people who are unwell, who are on medication. There are many students who are so, who become, uh, especially in the exam period, they become unwell and they require something to eat. I mean, who are, all of these people are exempt from fasting. And the beauty about fasting is that if you've missed fasting, you give something in the way of God Almighty. You give some fidya, which means you're still providing for the poor people. Mm-hmm. And after this blessed month, you complete your fasts anyway. Right? So th- this exception that Allah the Almighty has provided, that is for everyone. But especially young children, they should not be fasting at all. Mm. I mean, what good is fasting if that destroys your well-being, your health? And there are examples that children are not passed out due to the hunger or the thirst. I mean, how can that be pleasing to God Almighty, right? We should use our common sense, especially that if something is causing harm to one, especially a child, that has nothing to do with Islam. Yeah. Now, how can we involve our children in fasting? There's great ways. We just spoke about the Qur'an. Let's uh, give the habit of our children to learn the Qur'an, to read the Qur'an more often. Or we, we instill the habit of giving to the poor in this month of Ramadan. And we tell them that the Prophet, peace be upon him, used to give so much, uh, used to make so much financial sacrifice in normal days, but in the month of Ramadan, he gave twice as much. Mm. And when we teach our children these things and tell them that, look, the same children your age around the world are perhaps not even having one meal a day. So let's provide for those children. So instill those good morals and those good habits, teach them about the true meanings of faith, and that way they will develop the 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 love of Ramazan in their hearts and as soon as they are ready physically they're old enough they will want to fast themselves mm. because they've seen the blessings attached to it yeah I think that's that's a really important point especially if if you know for for Muslims also listening in perhaps you know yeah. that, that yeah. we have to make sure that children are not put in a position where they're not ready to go for, with that obviously you need to be mature you need to be ready as uh, as you said uh, for this um, so that's an important aspect as well lastly um, the month of Ramadan out of 12 months it's it's you know only once during the year that we have the month of Ramadan so is is this like a one-off spiritual exercise or is something that or is this something that we have to kind of you know put in our, our, our life for the rest of the year as well Look, that's a great question that's something that we speak about often in the end of the month of Ramadan and we often speak to our members and our community members and other people that if we do not continue the the, the blessings of, of Ramadan we've gained the blessings we've realized that this has given us so much in this month that we should not bring this to a screeching stop we should try to continue gaining those benefits that we've attained in the month of Ramadan Right. So, for example, if we've gained the habit of giving to the poor, let's continue doing that. If we've gained the habit of, um, even let's take the physical part, the physical element of uh, of fasting, which is which has great health benefits. There's a great movement called intermittent fasting. People fast for health benefits. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, used to fast every single week, every Monday and every Thursday. And there's something, there are many people who... Um, uh, who've introduced these forms of dieting, they actually uh, say that Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was one of the inspirations 
that led them to fasting twice in a week. Right? So that's just one physical uh, element, and the blessings are countless, right? And then let's take reading the Quran, for example. So we continue we taking that good habit, and then do it for the rest of the year. Right? So the, the, if we realize, I mean, the best way of expl- explaining this is that, look, you've taken something away from this month of Ramadan. You've realized that it's made you a better human being. You've gained the closure, the 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 nearness of Allah the Almighty. You know that Allah likes fasting. It keeps you away from sin. Mm. Then why stop it? Yeah. Right? Let's continue doing it, even if it's little. Because there's a saying of the Prophet, peace be upon him, that the most desirable acts of worship for Allah the Almighty are those which are consistent. Mm. So if we consistently try to do things attached to the month of Ramadan throughout the year, then that is the most desirable thing to God Almighty. Mm. Well, very, very well said. And of course, I mean, if you if you're trying your best to consistently do these good things on the on the over the course of the year, mm-hmm. you might, you know, towards the end of the year, falter a little bit or lose a little bit of consistency. And there, you know, Ramadan comes again to you know keep you fresh, <laughs> Re- refresh those. Habits. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Imam uh, Ahmed Khushi. Always good to have you on Voice of Islam. Thank you once again for your time. Thank you for having me. Assalamualaikum. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. I remember a teacher that we had when we were studying uh, Salman U nine in the Jamia Ahmadiyya mm-hmm. uh, used to say that Ramadan is like a spiritual MOT. Yeah, I'm familiar. <laughs> it so that's one way to put it. Um, if, if if your car needs it once a year, you you, you need it once a year, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I I think um, Sweet while while speaking with Imam Khushid, this this is one question that came to my mind. Because we we did discuss about the Ramadan or fasting not being uh, obligatory upon mm. children, so from what age are children actually supposed to start fasting then? Yeah, I mean that's uh, exactly. I think Imam Khushid also kind of answered that question. I mean, you 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 probably can't put an age mm-hmm. to, exact mm-hmm. age to that, but I think that the the whole. Um, concept of fasting is for those who are able to do so Absolutely. and of course uh, you have to be at an age where you are mature you know when you uh, when you when you have the strength to do it as well and, uh, and normally you know around 15 16 years old people have developed you know children uh, they're not children anymore they're yeah. teenagers so they're you know grown up to to become stronger but I think you know if you look at you know four five three four five six seven years old 10 11 years old yeah. even I mean they they, they are still struggling a little bit you know they're still finding their feet they're still growing they yeah. need uh, you know they need food all of that so so I think that's the way to to look at it and also as uh, I think Imam Khushid also explained that Islam is 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 a religion of ease you know it's mm-hmm. not uh, mm-hmm. it's not supposed to to make people suffer it's it's in fact for for our own good so I think it's it's also important to always before doing something mm-hmm. Or acting upon a, a a commandment to understand why we are going to be doing this, right? Yeah. So, because as Allah Taala Himself says, and the Prophet peace be upon him also says, that Allah Taala doesn't need us to stay hungry and thirsty, yeah. right? But for those kids, essentially, it is going to be just a part where they are staying hungry and thirsty because they are not able to actually understand the essence of, mm. of fasting, right? Yeah. So. Why make them do that? Yeah, exactly. Right? And as Imam Khurshid obviously beautifully explained, that there are certain aspects where we can get them involved. Yeah. 
why not do that for now and then yeah. once they, they they have reached that age but also so uh, they get a taste of it exactly but i think it's it's also uh, important to remember that the age doesn't start after 18 no <laughs> <laughs> because there 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 are some some folks out there yeah. that, that push that, it that push it further yes, further yes yes because <laughs> as you said they say it's all bending those lines so yes. they want to push it to yeah. the age of 18 <laughs> yeah no uh, it's uh, uh you know it's it's all about the intention and the uh, obviously you you want to to please Allah the Almighty and that's the whole purpose of uh, fasting um, okay so w- w- we're going to go to our next guest we have um, another imam joining us uh, from uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community we have uh, imam uh, Tariq Azim with us who is um, a missionary uh, in charge in Jamaica uh, he's joining us and we have a couple of questions for him as well for the uh, topic of fasting assalamu alaikum brother uh, imam tariq azim thank you very much for joining wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah yes i can hear you oh brilliant how are you doing you all right i'm good jazakallah thank you for having me on the program thank you very much for joining so we had a very interesting discussion uh, um just recently with the, our previous uh, guest as well imam khushid um we wanted to just take that discussion forward a little bit that fasting is one of the five pillars of islam meaning that it's very very you know fundamental to the islamic teachings why is it that fasting is 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 so central so i mean being one of the five pillars of islam um how, what does it tell us about the importance of uh, the concept of fasting yes absolutely as you mentioned it is uh, one of the pillars there are five pillars in islam and fasting has been mentioned as one of them So when you say that something is a pillar of something it means that the faith the religion rests or the, you know whatever you're talking about rests upon that pillar so as muslims our faith our religion rests upon these five fund- fundamentals five pillars and one of them is fasting uh, in the holy quran god almighty has said as is, as has been mentioned before that fasting has been prescribed upon you prescribed made mandatory for you as it was made mandatory or prescribed upon the people before you so from there very clearly the holy quran explains that it is not something uh, that god is just encouraging but rather saying that it is mandatory to fulfill your real purpose for which you have been created you know in the holy quran god almighty says that the purpose that you have been created is so that you worship me that you worship god almighty and you gain nearness to god almighty So as this verse, you know, um, the ones that I just just quoted from chapter 2 very beautifully explains that it is so that you may become righteous. So this you know, this practice, this pillar of Islam that is fasting helps us achieve that purpose by by you know, turning us from um, you know, our evil or any other sort of desires that are not um, that that can be uh, detrimental in acquiring our purpose. it turns us away from them and brings us closer to god almighty so for that reason that reason alone it has been made a pillar of islam um and you know as as you were just talking before that for uh, health reasons some may not be able to do it but as a general rule it has been made mandatory for all muslims that they should uh, try and observe fasting mhm mhm masad sandi um ibam tariq um so obviously um the the first and foremost um goal of any islamic commandment is in regards to spiritual progress um 
what role does fasting play in that yes uh, the holy quran says regarding fasting that why it has been prescribed upon you god almighty says la allakum tattaqun that so so that you may become righteous or so that you may guard against evil so this is the primary purpose of fasting for muslims and we see that throughout the history uh, prophets saints and other righteous and pious people have dedicated so much you know time so much life in fasting so that they could derive that spiritual benefit that this 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 practice this worship entails you know when you look at our 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 founder of islam the master holy prophet muhammad peace and blessings of god be upon him um he used to fast even before fasting was made mandatory in this sense in islam mm-hmm. before the commandment of ramadan was revealed right so there were certain days in the year that he would observe fasting because he he understood he realized that to connect with god almighty fight, uh, fasting is an essential tool it's an essential form of worship you look at other prophets as well such as prophet jesus peace be upon him regarding him it is mentioned that he he you know he was uh, led into or he went into the wilderness into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights where he was observing fasting where he was not eating or drinking anything for most part of the days and it it's it, it also mentions that he was tempted by devil at that time what the you know or or by satan the purpose that what that explains is that the period of fasting purified him to fight all sorts of evil temptations and someone who is purified from evil temptations is the one that can move closer to god almighty so fight uh, fasting is absolutely essential we read the same thing about prophet moses as well and even the founder of ahmadiyya muslim community his holiness mirza ulam ahmed peace be upon him same thing about him he fasted for an extended long period of time and uh, you know the, the purpose the aim was so that we purif- that he purifies himself and and ke- tries to gain even closer uh, you know relationship and nearness to allah the almighty mm-hmm. and i think you you mentioned uh, that fasting we find uh, the concept of fasting in, in obviously the previous prophets and religions however you know that's something that uh, the quran also confirms isn't it i mean we 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 were looking at the verse that fasting is prescribed for you you know as it was prescribed for people before you so i think you you answered that part that you know it's it's it, it was prevalent in it was there uh, introduced in different uh, previous religions as well however in today's a day and age i mean we only see that islam is the religion that really is you know clear and and strict about this i mean we do find um, other forms of you know fasting in in different religions but it's not that strict or clear or disciplined is it than than that islam uh, you know puts in practice uh it is true you're right um fasting is mentioned in other religions as well and to a degree it still exists in 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 all the major religions of the world if you look at hinduism uh one of the more older religions uh, that we see around uh there are days throughout the year that hindus do uh, observe fast and uh, again it de- it de- de- differs based on the community or uh you know which god or goddess they worship but it to some extent it does exist in them 
Um, similarly, in Judaism, there are certain days where, where they fast throughout the year. In Christianity particularly, there is 40 days period uh, before Easter that, that many Christians around the world fast. But again, as you mentioned, that the way we see in Islam, in, you know, in, uh, when the time of Ramadan draws near, Muslims, 1.6 billion Muslims there are in the world or thereabout, you see a complete you know uh, uh, transformation in them that they're getting ready to observe fasting and when that period is upon them uh, nearly every muslim that you would meet that you would come across would be fasting because the way it is practiced in islam uh, it is it, it cannot be seen in other religions but definitely as the holy quran mentions in chapter 2 verse 184 fasting was prescribed and was made mandatory um, in other religions as well, as I have ex given examples uh, from some of the major religions. Absolutely. And um, lastly, uh, Imam Tariq, are, are there any health benefits to fasting? Yes, actually, there are plenty of health benefits, um, you know, associated with fasting. Um, Islam is a very practical religion. Whatever command it gives to its followers, it certainly has uh, spiritual benefits of it but it is never detrimental to 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 the, to the health of the person observing them this is the beauty of, of of the you know religion of islam that whatever commandment is given it helps us spiritually but also in you know in our health and our physical sense as well there you know just before uh, the this radio call i was going through some uh, researching on it a little bit and I found several several uh, articles and I would encourage people that they go up and read on it because it will give them this I idea this um, understanding that how this can be so beneficial to them how fasting can be so beneficial to them um, in 2018 there was a study published by University of Southern California which was talking about how fasting as little as three days can regenerate entire immune system us and again you know we just having gone through covid i shouldn't even say having gone through covid um, still there are many many people suffering from it uh, it is a time that we understand the importance of our you know uh, improving our immune system so that we cannot just fight off covid or other uh, but rather other um, you know viruses and other problems as well so regarding this it is mentioned that even a brief fasting period can kickstart our stem cells into producing white blood cells, which are critical in fighting off, you know, viruses and infections and whatnot. So this is, uh, you know, something if you're looking at from that perspective, fasting can definitely um, help our health, our immune system, and, you know, uh, give us longer life in that sense, if you're looking at it from that perspective. And even uh, there's another study from 2012, uh, where they tested uh, certain mice that were suffering from cancer and were going through chemo, going through chemotherapy, and they tested that these same mice, if they were uh, made to starve for one or two days before uh, the, their chemotherapy, their tumor shrunk more than it would have shrunk if they weren't starving, if they weren't fasting. So th I mean, again, the, when there's so much research being done upon this, and the more you read about it, the more it strengthens our faith that why Islam has made it mandatory for Muslims to observe fasting. One of the most interesting things that I find about fasting is that, you know, we, we in, in many of these first world countries, 
we're living a life of excess there is food there's all these things always available to us mm. controlling ourselves disciplining ourselves is one of the biggest challenges and that is something because we cannot sometimes discipline ourselves control ourselves particularly in regards to food it is leading to obesity and diabetes you know diabetes and so many other uh, sicknesses and diseases so for in, in ramadan 30 day period is something that gives fasting is something that gives us that chance to to fight that indiscipline and bring ourselves to to a lifestyle which is more healthier so this is another benefit of ramadan uh, that is the the islamic month of fasting not just for one day or two days but if you observe this for 30 days straight it is an opportunity to change your life revolutionize your life in in, in physical sense as well in health sense as well where you can you know um, you know gain much better health not just at the end of it but continue that throughout your life so this is you know again um, the more we study there are so many more benefits uh, that we can we can find but as muslims we should always remember that fasting the primary reason that we are observing fasting is for our spiritual health our spiritual benefit right mm. it is often said by saints that fasting is a time where you starve your body but feed your soul mm. right so this should be a time when we are praying more than usual when we are giving charity alms giving more than usual right uh, uh, doing more other good things throughout our day while we're fasting then you know the primary purpose that is our spiritual health will improve along with that you'll have the added benefit of our physical health improving as well thank you very much uh, jazakallah imam uh, tariq azim for uh, joining us and for uh, you know answering these questions for the benefit of our listeners i hope uh, um they will uh, certainly we have all benefited from that um lastly uh, you know it's always nice to connect to uh, to f- fellow you know missionaries across the world um how's uh, how's your time in in jamaica going um for yourself um alhamdulillah by the grace of god it has been it has been a great experience i've i've, I've been learning a lot i've been there for over 3 years now and um, and yeah there's a great great interest uh in learning the religion of islam in jamaica people are very intrigued and and they want to learn more when you when you ex- tell them that you are a missionary or an imam for the muslim community that's fantastic to hear may allah bless uh, bless your work and uh, the community uh, in jamaica as well thank you very much imam azim for joining us assalamualaikum jazakallah for having me 02086877878 is the number to call you can also tweet at uh, voice of islam uk we're going to go for a short break join us after the break you're listening to voice of islam and this is the drive time show You're listening to the Voice of Islam radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Hazrat Abu Huraira, may Allah be pleased with him, narrates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, No fatigue, disease, sorrow, sadness, hurt, nor distress befalls a Muslim, even if it were the prick he receives from a thorn. but that Allah expiates some of his sins for that Allah 
أشهد أن لا أشهد أن محمدا You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Yes, and this is the Drive Time Show. You're listening to Voice of Islam radio station. Um, so we were talking about uh, fasting being uh, obviously one of the five most important uh, pillars of Islam. Um, the third pillar from the five is uh, Ramadan or fasting, I should say. And fasting is then obviously obligatory in the month of Ramadan, which comes once a year. A companion of the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, his name was Hazrat Abu Huraira, Razila Taranho. May Allah be pleased with him. He relates that the Holy Prophet, uh, may, ple- may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, "Start the month, uh, start the month after sighting the new moon, and end it at the next sighting." So, if you were listening to to, to the program early on, you know we we mentioned how this month of Ramadan follows the lunar calendar. Which which obviously means that you sight the the new moon and then you go go um, with the Ramadan um, start with that, and then the Prophet said, if you are unable to observe it by reason of sky being overcast, postpone the fast by a day. The phases the phases of the moon um, result from relative positions of the Earth, Moon, and Sun. The full moon and the new moon appear at the opposite and conjunction of the moon's orbit around the earth, which is on average 29 days, 12 hours and 45 minutes. Every solar year contains about 12, 12.37 uh, lunar months. And as the years roll by, the month of fasting moving from summer through spring, winter, autumn. Um, and, it, it you know, the cycle is completed in 33 years. So, um Again, the month of fasting will will sometimes be in the summer, sometimes be in the winter, sometimes be in the spring during uh, the age of you know uh, of uh, of a person. So, for example, a man who fasts the first full month of Ramadan when he's 18 years old, the shorter winter days would fast again at the age of 15, the same winter days according to the solar calendar. Now, when we come uh, about the timings, Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran. And eat and drink until the white thread becomes distinct to you from the black thread of the dawn. Then complete the fast till nightfall. So the fast begins approximately an hour before sunrise. And the guiding principle is that before sunrise, when the rays of sunshine becomes visible, there should be time enough to complete the recitation of 50 verses of the Holy Quran, which takes about one hour if justice is to be done to that recitation. And during the whole day, the Muslims then are prohibited to eat or drink or from intercourse or from arguing or from performing bad deeds or habits. So Muslim communities and also the Ahmadiyya Muslim community worldwide practice this and also publish timetables for the beginning of the fast, which is about one hour before sunrise and the breaking of the fast at sunset, which obviously we all follow when we are in the month of Ramadan. You know, we have the calendars on our phones on 
you know, on 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 the notice board as well. Um, on the fridge. Yes, on the fridge. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's that's where you're gonna have your sahur, you know, yes. the your morning food. So yes. so it's it's very easy for us now. Exactly. As well, but even mm-hmm. before, for now that we have obviously modern technology to kind of tell us, yes, this is the time for for fasting to start. This is the time for the fast to open. Even at before this, Allah the Almighty has made it very clear. You know that mm-hmm. if if you if you see that this this is how the horizon looks, mm-hmm. that means now you should start fasting. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's really easy, easy as well. Yeah. Also, in 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 countries where Islam is 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 more prevalent. Yeah. You can just listen to the azan. Uh, in the in the mosque and it's of um because it's on loudspeakers so really across the town y- yeah. you will know when it's time for suhoor to to finish and when it's time for iftar um i think another point um as as we did discuss earlier yeah. earlier on is in regards to children um not uh being allowed to fast at, yeah. at, at a young age but there is also obviously other people that are sort of exempt from fasting which is um elderly um pregnant women travelers children um also people that are sick they are freed from fasting um otherwise it is considered a sin to unnecessarily leave a day out of fasting so in this regard the promised messiah alayhisallam has said um and i quote in so far as i am concerned i do not leave a fast unless it is likely to cause my death i don't feel inclined to leave a fast these are blessed days and are the days of the showerings of god's blessings and mercy and also in one of his friday sermons the fifth caliph hazrat mirza masrur ahmed may allah strengthen his hand explained that the holy quran clearly states the conditions under which one may not fast for example when ailing or traveling the missed fasts should be made up later on if one uh, if one can one may also give fidya people with chronic illnesses should pay fidya so again i mean as uh, imam khurshid also made it very clear that islam has made it easy for mm. us to practice this religion so if you are ill if you have a chronic disease you are not able to fast you give the fidya you obviously pray and and you do all of that reading of the holy quran etc but if you're just not allowed to stay hungry because of whatever medical uh, condition there is uh, you are exempt from that and the fidya is to it, the fidya goes obviously to towards the poor and needy yeah to feed feed them yeah. so again it shows that even if if you are not able to fast yourself you yeah. can you can do a good thing yeah. as that option is that you give to charity and help Absolutely. somebody else you know uh have food so i mean it's 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 great i mean in all of these aspects of charity of sacrifice the month of ramadan you know teaches you so many things and i remember every time ramadan comes and you go through uh, all of these things and you 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 know you you say okay you know this is i want to make sure that i try to do this the rest of the year you know such Absolutely. such a great experience mm-hmm. and then sadly obviously sometimes we 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 become you know a little bit lax in that that we don't carry on with all that those good habits but if if you keep on trying to improve uh, year on year after you know you yeah. you will get somewhere with the with this uh, you know this this great uh, spiritual uh, training i mean 
isn't that really something with with every habit that yeah. th- that you want to start doing so if you want to let's say start going to the gym yeah. you will li- initially start going for the, for the first month and I- if you can develop the habit um, over the first month then you're probably going to go ahead with it as well yes. so that uh, in in that way Allah explains to us that in Ramadan is a similar situation now obviously we're heading towards uh, our five o'clock news and uh, we will be back with our listeners with the next topic which is the day of resurrection after the news break you are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to another live program here on Voice of Islam radio station. Um, we were uh, discussing uh, the importance of fasting in Islam from uh, in, in the previous hour when we started the program. And um, <clears throat> as, uh, as we explained uh, in the beginning of the, the show was the beginning of the show that during this whole week we have been focusing on the core teachings of Islam such as the five pillars of Islam the articles of faith um, to just you know sort of delve into the philosophy of the core Islamic teachings what it means to us why why they are so important um, in our beliefs in our teachings so we talked about fasting uh, we will now talk about uh, one aspect of the articles of faith which is also very important and this is uh, in relation to belief um, the belief in the day of resurrection and uh, we'll speak about that today in this hour the belief the understanding uh, in the day of judge- judgment or the day of resurrection as it is described um, is also one of the core teachings of Islam so you believe in that you have to believe in that and also prepare for that essentially as well um, now after the belief in one God belief in the day of judgment is most emphasized um, you know aspects uh, in the Holy Quran again if you if you pick up the Holy Quran and you would you would read some part of it you will come over across you know uh, reminders that you know uh, <coughs> about believing in uh, in the judgment day and and also to prepare uh, for the judgment day and and uh, make sure that you do good deeds and stay away from bad deeds etc etc so um, so you could have a you know a good afterlife basically um, no other revealed book um, draws such a vivid picture of the day of judgment as the Holy Quran does according to the Quranic teachings. On the day of judgment, uh, this entire universe will come to an end um, and then the dead will be resurrected and accounts taken of their deeds. The day of judgment is refers, referred to by many names in the Holy Quran. For example, we uh, read Yom al-Din, the day of uh, judgment, Yom al-Akhir, the last day, or Yom al-Qiyamah, the day of resurrection. So as we have... Uh, kind of you know um, uh, <coughs> explained this belief is mentioned many times in the Holy Quran in, in different ways in various parts and verses one such verse um, Allah the Almighty says 
Surely the hour is coming. I am going to manifest it that every soul may be recompensed for its endeavor. Chapter 20, verse 16. Um, Saman, I mean, this is a topic that is very difficult to explain, mm-hmm. but also it's it's a topic that is um, somehow, you know, hidden as well, that we, we do know um, a lot from the description of the Holy Quran, what we can expect yeah. um, in the life to come. But then again, you cannot report live from the afterlife because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. we're not going to be able to, to, to have a full picture. Allah the Almighty exactly. has said that, you know, that that's in your next life. You will not know everything of that, basically. Absolutely. I mean, the, 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 the Holy Quran, um, the Ahadith, the narrations of the Prophet Muhammad, peace, yeah. be upon him, uh, peace be upon him, and the Prophet Messiah of Islam and the Khulafa. The, yes, they, they all have drawn pictures of what to expect in the afterlife. But obviously, it is not as we've seen something with our own eye. Yeah. I think an- another thing which is um, uh, probably needs explaining is, is the fact that when you when you talk about the day of judgment, mm. it sounds scary. Yeah. Right. Um, I remember uh, even on our uh, Instagram, um, on the Voice of Islam Instagram, so someone uh, gave the comment that it's it's it, they are scared of mm. the day of judgment. But at the same time, um, if one is satisfied with himself or one knows that he or she has done good in their life and they have sort of reached that nearness to God that is probably the day when they are ultimately going to be meeting their God yeah, so they right? might be looking forward to that exactly yeah. um, yes definitely we, we, we should all always try our best to to not commit any sins we should try our best to always be sort of on our toes that that we are on the on the right way on the righteous way, but yeah, the day of judgment uh, for someone s- such as the prophets of God, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is something that they're yeah. they're looking forward to because yeah. that they're finally going to be with their God, right? Mm. So um, probably, uh, I mean, obviously the the scary part of this has been made because it speaks to human nature which essentially leads us to to be good human beings yeah. in this world so that yeah. was obviously the need of it yeah. but just just want to sort of uh, shed some light on the uh, good side of this thing as yeah. well yeah no I think you you're quite right because it, it does uh, obviously come across uh, when you even when you talk to people who might not be Muslims or might not believe in um, afterlife or even if there are people who believe in afterlife they, they feel hesitant to talk about it or they don't mm-hmm. want to talk about it because yeah. you know they, it makes them uncomfortable mm-hmm. so I think again as you said that the whole aspect of making somebody uncomfortable why why would that be I mean look if you t- if you take it in this uh, scenario that if you do something if you d- do follow the laws for mm-hmm. example even in the life that we live like if you follow the laws and you're not breaking the laws you're not doing anything that's criminal yeah. then you do not have that much to fear exactly right? you exactly. know that if if you, if you are doing the right things even if somebody sues you or somebody does something to you confronts you you can say that I'm I'm doing th- these things and I'm this is what I've done I haven't done anything wrong yeah. so again the 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 concept is similar as well I mean it, that's why in the Holy Quran Allah the Almighty again and again has 
said to believers that you know do these good things stay away from these bad things because yeah. you know it will give bad results yeah. and you'll be responsible for whatever you do in there exactly so again i mean if you keep so it's an encouragement to do good things and if you if you do good things and you try to make it put in an effort and uh, you know do things for god almighty and do try to live the best life that you can uh, fulfilling your obligations then of course that's something that you look forward to that exactly Absolutely. your death is something that would be a step to an afterlife which yeah. is eternal yeah and i think why people are scared could also be that people think that that's the end of their life yeah and all all the life they have spent chasing this world and when that comes to an end yeah. they would feel that now it's time that we lose everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's why you had uh, you know in the previous uh, in the history we find pharaoh and all of these people who have achieved everything in world yeah. but when they are dying they take everything with them in their grave and that's of no use to them exactly i think um at uh, at at this point it's also important to um tell our listeners about surah qiyama mm. which is basically the the day of judgment which a, a, a chapter in the holy quran even the named, name is qiyama yes. so, so so the name is it's named after they did the day mm. of judgment and the, the in the first few verses um it says in the name of allah the gracious the merciful nay i call to witness the day of resurrection and i do call to witness the self accusing soul that the day of judgment is a certainty then after a few verses uh, verses it says he asks when will be the day of resurrection when the eye is dazzled and the moon is eclipsed and the sun and the moon are brought together so that is the explanation allah the almighty has given to us about um the day of judgment in the holy quran but obviously um there is more explanation about this and there there are more details that we know about and for that we will now be speaking um with our first guest caller which is imam rizwan khan who is an imam of the ahmadiyya community based in the usa uh imam rizwan uh, jazakallah thank you very much for joining us and welcome to the drive time show Wa alaikum assalam. Jazakallah for having me. Um, Imam Rizwan, um, as, as you are uh, obviously aware that we are talking about the day of resurrection today as, as part of our um, Islam week here at the Voice of Islam radio. Um, the first question I, I want to ask you is, does a person's soul immediately meet Allah after death or will all creations meet Allah later on the day of judgment? So the Holy Quran has described meeting Allah Almighty Lika, which is from the same root as the word mulaqat, which we're quite familiar with. And it describes that about the day of judgment, the last day. So there is a special meeting which is described that only applies to the hereafter. So although we do want to meet with Allah Almighty in this world, we want to commune with Him. The Holy Quran has spoken extensively about that. But when it comes to when we leave this world and go to the hereafter, there there is a special change that happens where we're able to experience the nearness of God Almighty much more clearly and that the Holy Quran has referred to as meeting God Almighty but there also the Holy Quran has and the ahadith have described some nuance here that it's not that we just leave this world and immediately we're in our full spiritual maturity 
But the Holy Quran has described that there are stages that we pass through. In the same way that when we're born into this world, we don't just immediately meet you know, our parents and understand and know and have our full senses. It takes a long period of time for us to mature and get to a point where we're able to um, you know, really experience this world. So in the same way, the Holy Quran and the Hadith have described a period of development in the hereafter before that last day of judgment where that we go through before we have that real meeting or that lika, that mulaqat with Allah Almighty. Hmm, thank you very much, Izzwan, for that. And I think another aspect or a question perhaps that people ask is that is there a, a difference between the hour for an individual or the, the day of judgment for an individual and a day of judgment collectively for the uh, humankind. Uh, how, how do we answer that from an Islamic perspective? Mm, yes, that concept of the hour, that's mentioned quite a few times also in the Holy Quran. And it generally seems to refer to that, you know, the, the, the world coming to an end and that time of accountability. So that's the general reference that it has, although it can at times refer to the coming of a prophet of God, because that's also a revolutionary time. But, um, you know, there, again, like I mentioned, that the Hadith and the Holy Quran, they've also described that there is a difference between that time, that hour, that day of judgment, when we're all gathered together and judged together, <clears throat> and there's a different phase before that, where after we pass away, there is a time of spiritual development until we ultimately reach that stage. So that this has also been expanded on a little bit by the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the Promised Messiah, he said that when we pass away, then we will know where we are headed. We see this from a hadith. We know whether we are going to heaven or hell. But we haven't had the final analysis done. That day of judgment it comes later, where then not only are our actions you know, taken account of, but there is a comparison done with the rest of humanity. And that comparison is what is referred to on the day of judgment. So there, you know, one explanation we can have of this is that if you were to be told that, let's say, or if I were to be told that I got 85% on a test, that number would tell me if I passed or not, but it doesn't give me context. If I afterwards find out that most of the class got 90s, then it, it, it becomes very different for me. Mm. And if I find out otherwise that most of the class got 70s, and I find out that 85 is actually highly exceptional. So that comparison makes a big difference. And also, it adds to the punishment and the reward as well. You know, a person who fails and it's only between him and the teacher, it's one thing. But then that aspect of humiliation of failing and seeing the failure compared to everyone else, the open books on the Day of Judgment, they take a very different aspect. So those are the two things that are described about the hereafter, that sort of barzakh, that sort of transitory period where we know where we are headed. And then that final day of gathering, khashir and qiyamah, where the comparison is done and the final decision is made. Mm-hmm. Most certainly. Um, Jazakallah for that. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, Imran Zaman, uh, what is uh, the meaning behind um, the punishment of uh, the grave? What kind of punishment is, 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 is meant by that? And also, um, is, is there some sort of uh, reward of the grave as well? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, that's described in a hadith where the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, said, that when a person passes away, then he gave the metaphor that it is as if in the grave a window is opened towards heaven or towards hell. And then as time passes, that window becomes larger and larger. So in the very beginning, a person sees where they are headed. They are able to experience it in a very small extent. But as they grow more mature, that experience becomes more 
expanded and more mature for them. You know, this is similar to, for example, let's say a child is born with a congenital defect, God forbid. So at the very beginning of infancy, sometimes it's not very obvious because the child hasn't developed yet. But as the child gets older and older, the effect of that congenital defect, the difference between that child as he grows into an adult, becomes very much more clear as compared to other adults. So the suffering that a person experiences because of that deficiency and that defect, it becomes more pronounced later on. So this is also what our soul is. You know, our soul is like a fetus, a spiritual fetus within us. Our actions, they affect our spirituality, and they, in the same way a mother who consumes alcohol or drugs, can cause you know, harm to her fetus. So in the same way, we also, if we do wrong, then we cause harm to our soul, resulting in being born into the hereafter as an unhealthy creation, as an unhealthy soul. So in that spiritual infancy, which is referred to as the grave, there a person begins to experience something of you know, their capacities that they've developed in this world, but it's not full yet. But gradually as time passes, as that person grows to a spiritual adult and eventually to the day of judgment, then that experience becomes fully open to them. So what is definitely clear from a hadith is that, you know, there is a transit, there is a transitional period, there is a period of growth, whether a person is healthy or unhealthy, whether a person is headed towards reward or punishment, where that experience gradually grows and expands and matures for them. All right. Um, still, um, obviously, relating to, to this uh um, this this discussion about uh, punishment uh, after death or the punishment in the grave or the dis- transition period. Um, the, the object or the philosophy of heaven and hell um, in, in Islam, so if, if a person has passed away, does the punishment or the heaven or, or, or hell has anything to do with the physical body of, uh, of a person in the grave or is it just... Um, the, the, the spirit or the ruh, you could say. Yes. So what we find, you know, in the Holy Quran, for example, is that it's not possible to interpret the punishment or reward, the experiences of the hereafter in a way that's literal, that's physical. For example, the Holy Quran has said that that whoever is blind in this world will be blind in the hereafter, which we can see and understand that very much the only way this can be interpreted is a way that is metaphorical. It would be against justice and fairness that a person who just happens to suffer from blindness should continue to be blind forever in the hereafter. There were many righteous people, even companions of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, who were blind or began suffering from blindness in their very old age, as happens often in a small number of cases. Mm. So where the Holy Quran speaks of our capacities in the hereafter, there it speaks of spiritual sight and of spiritual blindness. And this is the only way that the um, you know, descriptions can be interpreted consistently. So the thing is that, of course, a person could interpret or try to interpret it literally, and it applies to a certain number of verses of the Qur'an and the Hadith. But the Holy Qur'an has said itself that it is a book that is consistent through and through. So a person, when they interpret the descriptions of paradise literally, they end up contradicting certain verses of the Holy Qur'an. They end up contradicting certain Hadith. So the viewpoint that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community puts forward is one that is consistent and it can be consistently applied to every verse of the Holy Qur'an and every hadith in that those descriptions are allegorical, they are metaphorical, they describe spiritual realities, which are definite realities, but it describes them with physical parables that we experience in this life. Absolutely. Um, Imran Rizwan, there are um, obviously many rewards that are 
spoken about within Islam um, in regards to the uh, afterlife. Two of those um, that I want to ask you about here right now. One is that men are promised female partners in the heaven. So the the question obviously arises there. What uh, about women? Why don't they uh, have been promised any such thing? <laughs> and a second uh, part of this rule should be um, that martyrs are promised to get seventy virgin um, uh, virgins in 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 Jannah in paradise. So where does that concept come from? Yeah, uh, people of uh, yeah. those who criticize Islam really, you know, yeah, focus on on this kind of allegation. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. And so when we see the Holy Quran, its main focus is actually on both men and women because it says repeatedly that we will have azwaju mutahara, pure spouses. And this plural word of azwaj, it applies to both men and women, that we will have spouses, husbands and wives that are pure. And also, what's important to remember is that when we talk about the maidens or those types of things, it describes that in the hereafter, for example, one verse says, atraba." They will have maidens of equal age. So whatever the age of those companions of paradise are, it will be equal to us. If they will be young, then we will also be young. So this also shows that in paradise there is not, not that concept of age, of time doesn't exist as it does in this world. Everyone will be young in that sense of how we understand it in this world. You know, the simple way of kind of describing this is that the, the hereafter is something that is a world that is very different from this world. So if we, have to, if we were to understand it or explain it, it has to be done with parables that are related to this world. You know, for example, if you were to explain to a child how, what the happiness of marriage is as an adult, we would have to explain it in terms that they understand, explain it in the things that they enjoy, like candy or those types of things. So this is what is the nature of the analogies used in the Holy Quran. Now when it comes to maidens, also here it has to be remembered that when we look at the Quran and the Ahadith, how is it described those maidens? Because this, this concept of 70 virgins, that's not found in the Quran, nor is it found in Bukhari or Muslim. It's found in the other books, the other four books of Ahadith. But what's mentioned in Sahih Bukhari very clearly and Sahih Muslim, this is found. This is a hadith that is very authentic, found in both books. It describes those women, those hoods of paradise. And it says that you will be able to see the marrow of their bones through their flesh and their bones. Now we have to pause and just visualize that for a second. Because anyone who tries to interpret the women of paradise as a source of sexual pleasure, how does this description make sense in any way whatsoever? It's basically looking at a picture of radiology, for example, looking at somebody through their flesh and blood. There is nothing sexually attractive about that. There, even in the most deviant types of sexual pleasure that we'll find on the Internet, I've never heard of anybody looking at pictures of x-rays and getting any pleasure out of it. So it's 100% clear here that the descriptions that are found in the authentic ahadith in the Holy Quran, they can only be interpreted consistently but being taken metaphorically, that it is the purity of those spouses, the spiritual purity of those spouses that is being described. And the moment a person tries to interpret the ahadith on this subject literally, then they end up facing in irreconcilable contradictions, for example, with this hadith in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, that you, that, that you won't be able to make any sense of. This is why we see that, you know, at some periods in Islamic history and Islamic art, artists tried to make attempts to sort of paint and visualize in, in, in drawings and in paintings the women of paradise, and there was nothing attractive about those images, because it's not possible to interpret those things as sexually attractive. Mm. So where the Holy Quran describes that companionship, it describes it 
firstly as um you know as a, as a companionship of azwaj which is neutral and then also it describes good and also will done that those things of this world like wives and also children like very like the, the, the way that a family enjoys babies very young children will done is also used that is something that both men and women in fact it appeals more to the maternal instinct so that thing of having children young children babies who will never grow old that is also a pleasure and a happiness of this world that is described that will never end so this is you know the nature of the descriptions that we find when it comes to the spouses in paradise mm. it's it's very interesting isn't it but that the when you when you explain it and when you look at it from the metaphorical point of view it, it all kind of makes sense but then i guess if you want to understand islam or if you want to understand the afterlife then your mind also has to be pure right i mean you you cannot have a worldly mind or a, or a mind that is focused focused on worldly pleasures to understand the heavenly pleasures right yes definitely i mean it's it's an expression of people's own um, i suppose um you know the desires which they reflect onto the holy quran even if they have to create contradictions with islam they want to push forward that interpretation because what they actually want is the pleasures of this world they're not really interested in spirituality unfortunately hmm. um okay so moving on to the uh, belief that obviously that there will be uh, a judgment uh, that people will be accountable for their uh, deeds um at the day of judgment what about people that are not muslims uh people that perhaps don't believe in any god or atheist um how 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 will they be accountable will, will allah the almighty also hold every human uh, accountable for their deeds mm, yes definitely and you know the thing is that you know what the holy quran has described again and again is a parallel between the physical and the spiritual laws of nature and it has described spiritual illness spiritual you know things that are disobedience as punishments as being like an illness now in this world if a person you know has bad habits they eat too much sugar then they're going to get diabetes whether they believe in diabetes or not whether they believe in doctors or not they're going to suffer the consequences if there's if the laws of nature are real then they have consequences so the same thing applies with spirituality that when a person does something that is unhealthy for his soul then naturally it is going to have consequences it's going to be unhealthy it's not a purely subjective thing there has to be some objectivity to the laws of nature so there what allah almighty has said and has described in the holy quran is that as long as a person is sincerely seeking the truth then even if he's just on his journey towards islam but he's he he dies before he becomes a muslim then allah almighty will forgive him for whatever shortcomings may have he may have been left in him there the holy quran only says that waman yabtaghi ghayra al-islami deenan falan yuqbalu minhu that it is only a person who pursues a religion other than islam that it will not be accepted of them but otherwise as long as a person is trying to submit to god with sincerity with humility then eventually they will find themselves to true islam if given enough time So this is why we see that there's a lot of people even like you know in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community there are countless narrations of people who accepted Islam in Ahmadiyya because they received a true dream a vision even revelation so why was it that they had such communion and connection with God and such righteousness that God almighty favored them to give them revelation to guide them to the truth it's because they were sincerely submitting to God and searching for the truth and even in that stage where they were not muslims yet Allah Almighty revealed himself to them and 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 pointed them towards the truth. So it shows that even if a person is not a Muslim yet, but he can be so loved by God Almighty because of his righteousness that Allah Almighty can reveal himself to him 
and you know point him towards the truth which he gradually accepts. So even if a person leaves this world, dies, and passes away while he's on that journey, then as God Almighty has said in the Holy Quran, it is only a person who is pursuing something other than submission to God who is accountable. But as long as we're on the right path, and even as long as that path is leading the submission, which is the true essence of Islam, that's what Islam means, submission, then there is no fault on that person and no accountability. God Almighty is forgiving and he is compassionate and he understands our weaknesses and shortcomings um, more than anyone. Absolutely. Um, Jazakallah for that, Imam Rizwan. Um, one last thing that I would want to ask you today. Um, obviously, we have spoken about the Day of Judgment and what will be happening to us. But another question that sort of rises to one's mind is what will happen to this world? Will this world and all the creations um, be destroyed at the Day of Judgment or will there maybe be, uh, maybe be uh, another uh, sort of... Um, mankind that that will be then given uh, this world to live in or what's the the concept there of uh, from an islamic point of view yeah so you know what is described in the holy quran and the hadith is that that last hour that last punishment that comes on mankind will be an unprecedented destruction now the question is that will anyone survive that dest- destruction there we can look for the examples in previous nations so for example when we look at the prophets who came before when they were rejected, and not only rejected, but when they were persecuted and the wrong of the people exceeded all limits, then destruction came on those people. So it's only fair and only logical that when a prophet comes to the whole world and then people reject him in the worst possible ways, then the same destruction that came on individual tribes and cities and communities before would come on the whole world. It's just a continuation of that same principle. So this is what Islam has described that when Islam has spread throughout the world and when people have understood the truth, but then even after that, gradually when people turn away and they reject that last warner that is sent to them, then destruction will come on the world in the same way that it came on different peoples that are described in different holy books before. This is described in the Quran and the Bible other places. So in those previous nations, we see that at times they were completely wiped out. There was nothing left of them. But also at times... They were destroyed in a way where the majority of them were destroyed, and where their nation and their civilization was destroyed to such an extent that it was never able to recover afterwards. There was only remnants of them left. So this is extrapolating on this point. The fourth head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he explained that it is possible that all of mankind will be destroyed in that last punishment, or it is possible that there may be some remnants that are left, and those remnants of humanity that are left, they would gradually decline and decay over hundreds of thousands of years in the same way that it took with evolution that we reach this point after you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years to reach to this point so also humanity or those remnants of humanity might then continue to decay and just continue um, to, to to fall um, for hundreds of thousands of years as you know just like any other life on this earth um, until until we eventually cease to exist so that's, uh, that, that, that is the indications that are given in the Holy Quran and the Hadith and by the guidances of the Qulafah. Thank you very much, Jazakallah, Imam Rizwan Khan, for uh, joining us and obviously um, you know, answering these questions in, in great detail for our listeners. Thank you very much, as always. Uh, great oh. pleasure having you on. All right, thank you for having me. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call. You can also tweet at uh, Voice of Islam UK if you wish to send in your uh, comments or um, any question that you might have. Uh, would love to speak to you zero two zero eight six eight seven 
7878 and the hashtag or the, the Twitter handle is at Voice of Islam UK if you wish to send in your comments. You can follow all our topics and discussions on uh, Instagram as well, uh, Voice of Islam UK. Now, uh, we have one uh, clip to play uh, for you uh, where the question around afterlife has been discussed, um, whether in the afterlife uh, people will have same physical infirmities as we did in our life on Earth. So let's have a listen to that. The fact is that we maintain, Ahmadis, that when you are given a new life after death, it is not the same physical body which is revived. Because if the same physical body is revived as others, other Malvis would have us believe, then this is the biggest objection. A kana would be raised a kana. There is one-eyed person would be raised a one-eyed person. And a person without eyes would be raised without eyes. A person without a leg or one who is paralyzed uh, in the body would be raised as a paralyzed person. An old hag would be raised as an old hag. <laughs> you see? So what a shocking concept of heaven or hell. <laughs> you know, what is hell to... What does heaven mean? To an old hag who is suffering from... A, bone aches and things, you know, she can't har she can hardly move a finger without crying and she would be raised exactly in the same way and go to heaven. What for? To suffer, observing people enjoying heaven? So it's meaningless. And we prove that Hazrat Rasulullah never understood heaven to be something like this or people to be raised in their physical bodies as they were found at the time of death. On the contrary, we find this very interesting uh, anecdote, I mean, a very interesting incident. Once an, a very old lady visited Ahadrat Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and uh, asked him whether she would go to heaven or not. And Ahadrat Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam smilingly retorted, no old woman would be found in heaven. <laughs> And she wailed and she protested and she cried like anything. Oh, poor me. <laughs> I wasted my, my, my time. Wish I were, I, I, I were dead. You know, that's the type of thing. He wailed, she wailed and wailed on. Then Ahasana smiled and said, No, no, old lady, you will be made young. You will be reborn young. That was the message. So, uh, the Holy Quran positively dictates. I, I mean, there's no time for quoting those verses. But uh, uh, the Holy Quran very positively, categorically dictates that your, the shape in which you will be reborn is something of which you can never conceive. It's not the same form. Uh, the Holy Quran tells us, Tabdila is the word used, that you will be changed so drastically that... Uh, as if you are completely a different thing. That was a great, uh, you know, explanation and answer by the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mizat Tahir Ahmad. Um, he explaining um, when somebody asked him a question about the afterlife, and um, it's um, it, it's so many questions that uh, come to the mind. But uh, of course, when it comes to uh, things that is uh, related to the afterlife, we can only go by the information that we find in the Holy Quran and in our religions and in Islam particularly very clearly 
Um, but then there, of course, are things that the mind cannot comprehend and uh, there are things that we do not know of because we have not seen that. And that is uh, the way Allah the Almighty has decided things will be. So I think when uh, there's a very interesting uh, uh, you know, incident that comes to my mind from the time of the Holy Prophet wasallam. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him that he heard somebody ask or, you know, question or talk about that when will the uh, afterlife or the Qiyamah come? Mm-hmm. And the Prophet said, what have you prepared for that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so instead of being too fixed on, oh, what's, what is going to be like, you know, how will that be? Uh, trying to figure out we're, with our own, you know, limited minds. Yeah. Uh, the Prophet said that you should be focused on how have you prepared mm. because regardless of what is going to be what depends or what will be crucial is what you have prepared so Absolutely. what are your deeds what's your uh, you know efforts what's your product what's your production what's your performance uh, in the world as a human being that is the most uh, important the thing aspect. is just um, human Nature, sort of nature yeah. to to be curious, right? Yeah. So we we always want to know what's ahead, but that again is is the beauty of 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 God, and that again proves us uh, the the existence of of an Almighty God, uh, the, because He has given us a lot of knowledge, but then most of it He's also kept to Himself, yes. and He will only let us know when the uh, right time has arrived, yeah. right? So yes, the human curiosity part is there, but at the same time, we've been told. That listen, you do your part, which is uh, prep for the hereafter, yeah. and leave the rest to God. <laughs> yes, absolutely. As a Muslim, the uh, second um, caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, second successor of, of the promised Messiah, said that the master of the day of judgment, Maliki Yomidin, which is one of the obviously attribute of Allah the Almighty, that He's master of the day of judgment, means that Allah is master of the time of reward and punishment as well. He will judge all mankind on uh, the day. Of the final day, and he, as he has said in the Holy Quran, and to Allah belongs whatsoever is in the heavens and whatever is in the earth, that he may requite those who do evil for what they have wrought, and that he may reward with what is best to those who do good. Chapter 53, verse 52. And further in Surah Qariya, we read, Then as for him whose scales are heavy, he will have a pleasant life. But as for him whose scales are light, he will be, hell will be his nursing mother. So, obviously, on one side where there is a great promise for those who do good, on the other side, those who do evil, there is also a stern warning that the punishment will be pretty severe. And I think that shows us that Allah the Almighty being all merciful, but he is also someone who makes sure that a person who does commit a, a crime or an evil um, you know thing mm-hmm. that he uh, pays the price for it I mean we see so many people get away from crime or evil deeds in this world but Allah the Almighty will hold everybody to account whether that person is rich or poor doesn't matter and uh, that's something that is should be a satisfaction for people especially people who have suffered yeah. from other people and they haven't seen justice that Yes, if they haven't seen justice in this world, certainly Allah the Almighty will hold those people who do evil to account in the hereafter. Absolutely. I mean, this this is a big question uh, in this day and age, and sometimes even an allegation against yeah. against the 
uh, uh, I guess the uh, existence of God yeah. that if well if there is a God and he is supposedly fair yeah. and just why are so many people getting away with so many bad things yeah. and the answer is very simple look um, if you have been caught in this day uh, in, in this world uh, you, you've probably faced the, the punishment already but those that have not faced the punishment in, in this world they will be uh, punished uh, in, in, in a far more worse way in the mm. hereafter so yes God is still the most just being that they possibly can be and yes those people will be accountable for what yeah. they've done and again I mean nowadays you know even if, if somebody is uh, you know caught uh, committing a crime or even f- for example if somebody is uh, texting and driving and causing an accident mm-hmm. you know the police is now easily able to check their phone and get yeah. all the data Exactly. To see what they have done. Yeah. So Allah the Almighty, similarly, I mean, the the, the, the way uh, Allah the Almighty who knows everything, even in the uh, hadith we find that, you know, the, um, the, the, the book of a person, the record of a person, whatever he's done, yeah. is going to be right there, yeah. you know. <laughs> so it's... Because it's, the CCTVs, <laughs> we only invented them a couple of years ago. Yeah. Allah has had them around for a very long time. Yeah. And it is more advanced than <laughs> yes. all of that. Yeah. Yes. So, so, of course, there's... Uh, that's that's why Allah the Almighty has warned as well a lot of times to to just you know kind of keep us away from evil and try to keep people towards the good side and to do good. Now uh, we're gonna listen to uh, uh, a uh, answer given by the fourth caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community. Um, again, this is a question about uh, people being judged according to their faith on the day of judgment, and um, the question is also around uh, if a person dies, uh, how. Um, how, what events are going to unfold in terms of the Day of Judgment. So let's have a listen to that. When we die, we will not lose consciousness in the sense of the soul which separates from our body. The soul, which is an enigma for the scientists here, is something which, when it parts from the body, the body chemistry immediately begins to decay and return to its constituent substances and there's no more sense left in the body at all does the soul also destroy it is is it so dependent on the body that it must live in a constant bodies with the body or not according to islam in case of other animals this is right that when the body dies the soul their their life dies. When the life dies, not the soul. Soul is only mentioned in case of, of, of human beings, not in relation to the animals. When the, so, when the life dies out, the body dies, the body dies, life dies, it's one and the same thing. But in case of human beings, the word soul is used, ruh. And this has developed to a degree that it has the capability of becoming an independent entity in itself a spiritual form which can live after separation. What is the nature of that form? We don't know much. But this much at least scientists have discovered that energy bundles can survive as energy bundles and uh, previously before this discovery they used to poo-poo the idea of believing in souls but they now admit that what we have discovered leads us to the possibilities 
of some sort of human energy living in an organized form as separated from the physical existence of man. So that is what will happen in the first place. It will have a consciousness of some sort. In the first appearance before God, it will be adjudged briefly and it would know from then on in which direction it is going to develop. Further development of the soul would require years of time, a very long period, in which it will develop in the form that a body will be created from within that soul and a soul will be created from within that body. That is to say, a separation will be made in that existence so that a center of thinking, a center of entity will be created around the soul, that part of soul which in comparison, which appeared to be uh, material, but it will not be material. So it is only a matter of uh, degrees. God is the ultimate of spiritual refinement. So all those who happen to be at a subsequent smaller level or a cruder level, they cannot conceive exactly the nature of the, you know, the spiritual nature of God which defies form, but it does exist and is proved through his works. That existence is proved through the works of God. Beyond that we cannot reach. But about the soul, we have some experience here which can lead us to believe in a phenomenon which may occur after our death. And that is experienced in two ways. Number one, in dreams. In dreams, things happen which appear to be real, but they defy the natural laws of our daily experience. We can walk through walls, we can see things of the past, we can experience visiting countries which we had never visited, and yet feel during the dream as if everything was real. We can meet our dead dear ones of the past and enjoy meeting them and talking to them. And as you are dreaming, you really believe that this is exactly what is happening. But it is not happening in the physical form. Nothing is created. Yet, something like that will happen to the soul. But this happening would be more real than our dreams. So the soul will have the same qualities, not exactly, but similar qualities, as that of our new identity within our dreams. According to Hazrat Masih the founder of the Ahmadiyya community, in his great historic book, The Teachings of Islam, The Philosophy of the Teachings of Islam, he builds this subject further by reminding us that it will not be just a dream existence. A new creation will be made out of the essence of man's personality which has got separated at the end, at the time of his death. That essence will be composed of his views, his thoughts, his attitudes, his goodness or his evil, his acts, 
or defiance of the word of God or his obedience to the will of God, all these make, continuously make, according to Hazrat Masih Islam, a personality within us. So a thing is born within us and we make it. We create our hell or our heaven and we don't realize it. But he said, one day some evil person may suddenly be awakened and he would be absolutely exasperated to realize that he has destroyed himself. What he is, is a rotten thing. And the good people gradually gain the realization of their nobility to a degree that that realization becomes the very reward of the nobility itself. So once awakened, the conscious creates, human conscience creates the hell for the evil people and the heaven for the good people. So Hazrat Masih pointed out that this is not in vain, this is not accidental. This does not happen in case of animals. There is no such sense of nobility or evil actions and their consequences among the animal kingdom. God has specifically been evolved to such a degree where this, his acts would create a soul in him and his heaven and health would be born out of his own actions. They will be given a form by the act of God, that is the new creation. And it will take a very long time ultimately. So when the last call is made before the resurrection, by that time all the human souls have, would have acquired a new form, a new body, a new spirit within that spiritual body. And they would be able to suffer if they have been, they will be able to acquire the faculty of suffering of that nature, which is not physical fire here. It is a different type of fire which sometimes we experience through extreme repentance, sense of shame, etc., or sense of exp exposure of our crimes. So this is, in short, what is going to happen to us after our death. While we live, we should try to create a healthier soul within us that can only be created if we become true within. Or in the end, let me quote the words of an earliest questioner, if we go for a purer heart. If we achieve a pure heart, such pure hearts will be saved from the hell. And in the words of Hazrat Musim, Aag hai par aag se wo sab bachaye jayenge jo ke rakhte hain khudai zul ajaib se pyar. Fire it is, no doubt. But all such people would be saved from that fire who have love of God, true love of God in their hearts. In the final analysis, purity of heart or love of God are one and the same thing. Wow, what a way to, you know, uh, explain the... Uh the concept of uh, of afterlife, as uh, the fourth uh, caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community just did, explaining that at the end of the day, what matters is that if we are true uh, with ourselves, with our own soul, mm -hmm. pure, and try to you know uh, make our soul pure while living this life, then we don't need to worry about the afterlife because that is going to make our life 
much much easier absolutely absolutely and i think um, that's something that uh, in one tradition of the holy prophet one saying that there was a person who came and he asked about the afterlife and the prophet asked him what have you done to prepare for it he said i haven't done much but one thing i can say that i i love allah the almighty and the prophet of god mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the prophet said that well then you have uh, nothing to worry about absolutely so again i think what um, in this this week where we looked at different uh, fundamental teachings of islam now day of judgment being one of the important one is uh, as well the reason for that uh, again salman is probably b- because we have to uh, this life is temporary and we have to prepare for the next yes um as we have said uh, a few times during today's show um you see in in essence islam is is all about the afterlife mm. and whatever we are doing in this um life is is all nothing but a test which we have been sort of made to go through and at the end of the day we will see now um within this life because there is some sort of resemblance with the spiritual life we have many smaller tests and 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 smaller exams and tests and hardships that we are put through and we see the results sometimes within a week sometimes a month sometimes after a year but essentially you are bound to see the result now the result of your life of the of um, however long this 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 life is you will see in the afterlife and mm. we all should be striving towards that final goal in, instead of being caught up with the uh, materialistic things yeah. and trying to chase after wealth and properties and money and and branded clothing and and what not right and the most expensive cars and and all of that because essentially all of that is going to Vanish, stay yeah. behind yeah. and what is going to matter at the end of the day is your good deeds um your spirituality and your god who will be obviously holding you to account for all of this very well said thank you very much uh, f- to all our listeners and also to our guests who joined us and uh, um also we must not forget the producers and the researchers behind the show who prepared the program for you today um may allah bless them all thank you very much for listening into voice of islam uh, radio station tomorrow is uh, friday and then we're going to talk about a few other important aspects of the islamic teachings coming up next now is the news